Hello, hello, hello. Wow, I'm on. Well, good evening. Thank you. This is audience participation time. Appreciate that, Donaldson, Terzich, winners of coffee. That is unacceptable to Kurt Snyder. Anyway. <clears throat> hey, let's jump right in because uh, it's a worship night. Thank you very much for that. Uh, the worship was awesome. Let's go to our passage in Colossians chapter 4. Um, we are going to explore two verses, verses 5 and 6 and talk a little bit about them and some corresponding passages. If you have a bookmark, you're going to want to put it somewhere in the area of Acts 14, because we're going to be flipping back and forth a little bit, and uh, we're going to be uh, talking about this topic, which is very important, uh, evangelism, right? Uh, some, some uh, um, I don't want to say argument, but differing opinions on what the term evangelism actually is. So let me clarify. Evangelism is the process of sharing the gospel. That was pretty easy. If you want to write that down, please do so. Okay, evangelism is when you talk to someone about the good news of Jesus Christ. Okay, simple as that. How you go about it, that's a different, that's a different process, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Being faithful in evangelism and what that means and what does that look like, and how can we, as a, as a group of Christians, uh, do that better. So, our passage, Colossians 4, verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So pretty short and sweet. So let's go back in time a little bit, take a look at where we've been this past year, not to give a wrap-up like Pastor Elliot is going to do in the next uh, two or three weeks here. But if you look at the book of Colossians on its own, we have a pretty good idea of, of a start to, start to finish of a new believer. We, we recall back in uh, chapter 1, what was, what was uh, being communicated to us there was, was a new believer and how to respond rightly to the gospel. And then we move to chapter 2. Chapter 2 was talking about um, uh, how a new believer needs to uh, needs to be careful about his theology. Uh, it gives warnings about, about false prophets, false teachers, false doctrine. And there's this emphasis of having the correct theology in your head so that you know how to do things like, um, uh, like evangelism. Chapter 3, you'll recall, you'll recall that wasn't too long ago. Uh, we talked about what it is to be Christ-like, how to mimic Christ. And then later on in chapter 3, we talked a little bit about uh, what, it, what it is to manage your household. Wives, we, we talked, or the, I shouldn't say we, the book talks about how to be a godly wife, uh, how to be a godly husband, how to be a uh, Christian. We, we talked in our Thrive groups about being Christian in the workplace. Um, and here we arrive, Ryan talked last time about being steadfast in prayer. In chapter four of the book of Colossians, um, uh, we arrive at a point where all these things have, have been done, where you have a new Christian and, he's, and he or she has steadily grown in his sanctification, right? The process of becoming more and more Christ-like. And so he, he or she has grown on this path, and Colossians kind of walks step-by-step step, like a guide um, with, that, with that person, kind of along, along that, their, uh, their path. I don't want to say spiritual journey. I don't like that term. But it's a good guide for them to, uh, to look at where you should start, how to respond rightly. And now that you are a seasoned Christian, now that you've done these things and you know how to, uh, 
you have the correct theology, you know how to pray, you're in the Word daily. Okay, now what are some other things that we as Christians are supposed to do? Well, evangelism is one of those things, and Paul tackles that in the verses we just read. I'm going to give you three points this evening. There's worksheets on your tables. Feel free to grab those out um, and take notes if you would. But I want to give you three points that may help us in, in, in looking at evangelism. I know that people have a lot of thoughts about evangelism and, and the notion that it's scary. It can be. I'm not going to lie. It can be really scary to walk up to someone that you don't know, you've never met before, and you're just going to start talk, talking about uh, religion and Jesus Christ and Christianity as a whole, right? Especially in today's day and age, that's, that's a topic where, where uh, we aren't persecuted necessarily as much as in other parts of the world or as much as what was happening in biblical times. But the level of persecution that is upon us can still be fearful to where people think that you're stupid or they may look at you uh, indifferently or they just may have this opinion of you and no one wants to go into a conversation knowing that someone could react to you like that, right? We want to talk to people that are kind to us, do we not? And we want to talk to people that are going to reciprocate and have conversation. We, don't, we are fearful of talking to someone and having them get back in our face or worse yet, just walk away and not respond to us at all. It can be embarrassing and troublesome and frightening. And that's okay uh, to have those things, but it shouldn't deter you from doing it nonetheless. If you call yourself a Christian and you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you've repented of your sins, then you are called to do this. So whatever fear you have, get over it. Okay, you have to be able to do this, and we're going to talk about how to do that. So, first point, number one, I'm a sports guy, for those, for those of you that don't know me, so I used uh, sports um, as, as kind of a, an example as we go about this. Evangelism is an action sport, okay? This isn't tennis, it's not one-on-one, it's not golf where you are, where, where you're by yourself. This is an action sport, okay, to where, to where you have to be actively involved in, in getting, getting, uh, getting to the point with someone or with a group of people, okay? Uh, take a look at our passage again in verse 5. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. I want to point out two words to you, walk and towards, right? Uh, walking is something that you don't do sitting down, right? Does that make sense? You actually have to physically move. You know what walking means, I hope and pray. Think of, think of a little kid or a baby. If you, if you have uh, kids that are trying to learn how to walk, they see you standing, they want to stand up too. They will do anything they can to try to stand up and walk. Why? Because you encourage them, you clap for them, you smile for them. They want to reach up and grab something, pull themselves up and stand. Do they not? Okay. Uh, they are taking effort. They are thinking about, in their mind, they are consciously thinking that I want to do this. Okay? And then the word toward, right? Here we have uh, something that, that is going to point us in the right direction. If you are hungry and you're sitting at home on the couch and you don't have your potato chips already, okay, and you're hungry, you have to consciously, consciously say or make an effort to go to the fridge to get your food. Or you have to go out to a restaurant and have someone serve you. Either way, you have to get up off of that couch when you have the hunger and go. I shouldn't use couch. I should use something else. Maybe you're sitting at a desk, okay? You're getting up from whatever it is that you're doing, and you're going, and, you're, and you're, um, you have to go get that food to satisfy 
that hunger, okay? You can't satisfy that hunger just by sitting there and doing nothing, okay? So you have to physically move by walking, and you have to make a conscious decision of where you want to go. And so that's what we're talking about with walking toward, okay? Um, if you evangelize faithfully, you can't have this mindset of people coming to you. Okay? And I think that that's where we're at in this day and age, where people are so terrified of confrontation. Raise your hand if you're a confrontational person. Five of you. Good job. Thanks for being honest. Thanks, Mac. You're really confrontational. Okay? Confrontation is not something that we seek out normally. It's actually promo it's told to us that we need to avoid confrontation at all cost, right? But that's not what that's not what evangelism entails. You have to confront people on sin in order for them to be saved, right? If you just sit there and have this mentality of living a good life, being a good person, and hoping and praying that your coworker or your family member will come talk to you about the gospel, about God, about Christ, forget it. It's not going to happen. You have to make the effort. You have to get up, go talk to them. You have to use your words. This notion of share the gospel and use words if necessary is baloney. It's nonsense, and you actually have to speak. Look at Scripture throughout the course of the Bible. Start in Acts. How many times, right, does it say, and they preached the word, and they preached the word? You have to share the gospel with your mouth. You have to use your words. You have to take action. Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission. Do we have that? Yeah. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Go. Okay? It's a command. Right? It's called the Great Commission for, for a reason. Someone is commissioned to do something. It's an order. It's not a nice, kind request. It is, hey, this is what you have to do. Now go do it. To a second point, what we want to look at here is, why is this a burden? I just want to ask that question. Why is it a burden for someone to share the gospel? If you're truly a Christian and, you, and you've truly repented of your sin and you've uh, you have this new life, you're a crea new creation in Christ, then why do you not want to share that with someone? This should be not, not that someone has to command you to do it, not that God has to tell you to go, but that you should have the desire to go because you want to, because you are that new creation and you want to share that with someone. Okay? It's not enough for you, again, to sit down and do nothing about it. That's not what's going to save somebody. Okay, so we have a direct command from God. The disciples were given it firsthand, and then that has reciprocated throughout the course of time. Here we are 2,000 years later, and the same model exists. Those disciples went out, they preached the gospel, people got saved, and, the same, and it's occurred for 2,000 years, and people are still getting saved today. How did it happen? By word of mouth. Okay, people just didn't do nothing. So evangelism is an action sport. Number two, evangelism is a contact sport, okay? Does this mean that you're strapping on the gloves and, and going to town if someone doesn't like what you say? No, not necessarily. Turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, we're going to come back to Colossians, just so you know. Acts chapter 14, verse 8, is where I'm going to pick it up. It's a long passage that I want to share with you guys, so I'll read it. But the background here is that Paul is with Barnabas, and they are traveling from town to town, city to city, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're evangelizing uh, people. Here they come to uh, Lystra, 
and it's a pretty sketchy situation that they get themselves into. Paul and Barnabas at Lystra, picking it up in verse 8. Acts 14, verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with, good, with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But, verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. I have uh, been in Orange County for almost 10 years now. I've never heard of anyone getting stoned for sharing the gospel. This is an extreme example. I realize that. Okay, but what I want to, to point out is the flow of what has occurred with them sharing the gospel. Paul and Barnabas are going town to town, city to city, preaching. Okay? They have uh, an opportunity here where, where, where Paul, an apostle, he heals this man right, by the power of God alone. He heals this guy, and this guy springs up and walks. Their response, the crowd's response, is, is that Paul and Barnabas are the gods that have healed him. And then Paul and, Paul and Barnabas get word that they're going to make sacrifices to them, to which they rush out and they say, no, don't do that. We are not gods. We are like men, like, or we are, what does it say here? Sorry. Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature, with you, verse 15. And they stop them from their, and they try to stop them from their sinful behavior. Okay? Gospel was preached. Response was the wrong one that was given. Okay? So what did they do? They went back and they tried to preach it again. Okay? In this case, the, the, the response was not given correctly again. But do you see that they didn't just give up? When I say that evangelism is a contact sport, when someone is going to push, push back on what you've shared with them in the first place, do you just move back and, and call it a day and say, oh, I better not talk to this guy or this gal, and, and you just leave it at that? Or do you try to rush back like Paul and Barnabas did, go back and say, wait, maybe you misunderstood what I was trying to tell you. Let me actually tell you this. Back in our Colossians chapter, right, how does it word it? In verse 6, it talks about being seasoned with salt, does it not? My bookmark just came out. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. If you are in the trenches uh, of evangelism and you're sharing, then, then you will get so many different questions and responses that you'll learn how to answer those. 
okay? There are times when you may not know how to answer those questions or know how to deal with those responses, but at least try, okay? If you know someone is blatantly sinful, right, and, and they, have, they have listened to what you have to say, maybe they don't understand it, you notice that they continue their sinful behavior, then go back to that person and say, hey, maybe, maybe you didn't catch what I was saying here, okay? I want to clarify. Don't just leave them to their sinful behavior, okay? Go back, try to reason with them, try to talk to them, and see if you can't get the response that you're looking for, okay? Keep in mind that sharing the gospel, being faithful in evangelism, uh, when you share the gospel with someone, the gospel demands a response. It cannot just be nothing, right? Someone's rejection of the gospel is their response. It is to say, no, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not going to become a Christian I'm not going to uh, repent of my sin, okay? The gospel demands a response, and it's our job as Christians not, not just to share the initial gospel, but to follow up and try to talk to someone about, hey, if you said you're a Christian, did, did you understand what I said? Because if you did, then you wouldn't be doing this anymore, right? You're a new creation in Christ. Stop doing it. And that's what Paul and Barnabas were trying to get at with these guys. There was, there was a wrong response to the gospel, right? I mean, really wrong. And they tried to stop that. On the extreme case, so what if someone, hypothetically speaking, what if someone is uh, really going to uh, respond to your gospel message in a very harsh way, right? Uh, have you come across these people where they may think that they're just smarter than you, or they think that uh, there's a lot of people that think you're stupid for being a Christian? I've been talked to by, by these people how can I possibly believe that there's a creator that created everything? And then I'm always asked, well, who created the creator? Well, if you understood that God exists outside of time and space, then I can answer your question easily. But um, you get that pushback from these people all the time in evangelism, right? If you're not getting that pushback, then you're not evangelizing enough. You got to talk to people. And when people give you that pushback, then you'll learn from it the next time. But it's not going to happen unless you're in contact with them, okay? Now, when this contact occurs, if it is that harsh person, is that the time when you just back off and, and say, okay, I'm done. This guy's clearly not going, to, uh, not going to be reasonable with me, quite possibly if it's harsh. But it could be a situation where it's like, hey, stand up for the truth of God's word, Okay? If the, yeah, you know what? I do believe that there is a creator. I do believe that there is one God that created everything that exists outside of time and space and that he created me and that his son died for my sin. I do believe that. How about you? What do you believe? Have you ever tried asking them what they believe? And then see where it goes from there. Really, you don't, really is, it so, is it so smart of you to think that something was created out of nothing, just spontaneous nothingness, and boom, there we have everything? I mean, really, which one is more logical? Let's talk about this. Let's dialogue with, about this. But if it becomes an argument, okay, I caution you. If it becomes an argument, you can't get into that argument, okay? Evangelism is not about arguing. Evangelism is about you sharing the gospel in love and being gracious, okay? And using your words, as the passage says, Make it, taste, make it seasoned with salt. It needs to taste good, palatable to these, to these people, okay? You have to, 
not, not change the gospel message, okay? But find a different way to present it, possibly, okay? Maybe it's a person where you just have to ask questions and let them find the answer, okay? There's different ways of going about it. It, do, it doesn't have to be just ramming the gospel down someone's throat. So evangelism is an action sport. It's a contact sport. And we're going to go to evangelism is a team sport. Evangelism is a team sport. Back in Acts uh, chapter 14, at the end of the passage that we just went through, uh, verses 20 through 23, but when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. Remember, Paul was just stoned and left for dead. They thought he was dead outside of the city. He rose up and entered the city. <laughs> he went back to the place that, where the people just stoned him. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When evangelizing, it's always best to do it in pairs or in a group. Um, if you can strategically find a way to evangelize to someone without them knowing that they're necessarily being evangelized to, then you have a great opportunity. What do I mean by that? Well, for example, there's a guy in my office. He's, a open, openly, um, he's an open atheist and, and doesn't hesitate to talk about it. But there's a gentleman that uh, is a Christian that works with me where I'm able to say, hey, let's tag team this. I'll talk to him one day. You talk to him the other day. <coughs> Pardon me. And we're able to, uh, instead of me constantly berating him about the gospel and constantly talking to him about every minute detail about the Bible and Christ and everything else, that other person that's tag teaming with me is able to have conversations with him. Hey, what did you think about what Mike told you the other day? Have you considered it at all? And then he can respond to that. And, and, and the uh, other Christian that I work with can say, hey, Steve was really digging what you were telling him the other day. You should continue to talk to him about X, Y, and Z. Or, hey, don't talk to him about that. He doesn't want anything to do with it. Maybe try this tactic. We pair up and we, we understand um, that tag teaming is the best way because we don't want to be Bible bashers on, on this guy and, and, and constantly berate him about everything. So evangelism is a team sport. Uh, just to make you guys aware, there's evangelism that, that occurs within this ministry. Some folks go out to the Irvine Spectrum. Um, it's going to start up again in the summertime, as I understand it. And groups of people that you can partner with go out and share the gospel. And that is a great learning opportunity for you to go out and learn how to evangelize to someone that you don't know. But keep in mind, that evangelism isn't necessarily just for people that you don't know. Evangelism can exist within your own home. Parents, you have to evangelize to your kids. You have to model what it is to be a Christian. You have to talk to them about Christ, share with them the Bible, teach them, raise them in the way of the Lord. Evangelism in your own family exists. It's not just reserved for people that you don't know. Evangelism is for everyone. And if you don't take the opportunity to do it, then think about everyone who won't who could possibly not be saved. I think I'm out of time. But that's being faithful in, in, in evangelism. And my prayer for you guys is that 
you would uh, take these three points and subtexts and really think about how can I do this better. It is such a blessing to be able to share with someone how you've been changed. It's called your testimony and what it means to be a true Christian, a true child of God. Let me pray for you really quick and then we can go to our groups. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for being our creator, our God who is holy and, and above us in everything. We, uh, we worship you tonight. We give you praise. We thank you for your word, which is given to us to combat, to teach, to, to share the good news. God, I pray for this group here that they would be diligent in sharing the gospel with whoever needs to hear it, coworker, a family member, a, um, someone on the street that they just happen to encounter. I don't know. God, whoever needs to hear the gospel, I pray that you would give these folks the courage, the knowledge, the wisdom to do it faithfully, diligently, and um, uh, that they would be able to not hesitate but to dive in deep and, and, and share the gospel when it needs to be shared. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for saving us here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right.